message as short as your drive to work. TheSpeakingDeacon.com <clears throat> Heavenly Father, please get me out of the way that your truths, your truths would be lifted up and, and that uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit we would understand and obey to your glory, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So this was a very good question. What happens to your spirit when you die? I thought that was, that's a really good question because there's a lot going on out there. Let's talk about a bunch of the wrong ideas first. Come on. Go. There it is. Wrong ideas. Here's, these represent three. One is soul sleep. Has anyone ever heard of soul sleep? Okay. The next one is ghosts. You know, people hanging around, unfinished business. You know, they were, they were trying to go to the bank and never made it to the bank, so now their ghost is always going to the bank, right? Something like that. Or annihilationism. All right? That's a doctrinal thing that when, when the lost die, they don't suffer in hell for eternity. God obliterates them. And they don't exist anymore. These are common beliefs that we're going to knock off the shelf uh, very quickly here with biblical truth, keeping these objective. And uh, we're going to answer... Actually, you know what? The only one I don't answer specifically is this one uh, in this text, now that I think about it. But uh, that's easy enough to answer, and maybe I'll just have to put some additional verses when this goes online. So here we go. I'm going to go right to it. We're going right into this. Here's the answers. And there's a plethora of answers. Can we say plethora? I guess not. All right. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting or waiting for Him. So, what I want to unpack here is the highlighted part. First, the, we're building, this is on Hebrews, talking about the sacrifice of Christ, and in that, the, the, the truth of what happens to man once they die is mentioned here. Okay, so it's the emphasis is about Christ, but in building what Jesus is up to, this is mentioned, and just as is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So men, once they leave this, once we get rid of this tent, we're, we got a lot of busyness going on. So activity begins. What type of activity? This judgment? Um, we'll take a look at that. First, have you ever heard of Jesus' parable about the rich man and, the, and uh, Lazarus, right? In Abraham's bosom. Now let's look at this. In Luke 16, 22 through 26, Jesus gives this parable. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, 
Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. All right, Jesus is showing us judgment is over. Judgment is there. Immediately after the rich man died, he went into torment. And immediately after the poor man died, he went to paradise. He went to Abraham's side where he's comforted. All right, And there's a consciousness and an activity where there's the... Um, I liken this to a lot of, and I, I forget which pastor said it even this week, but the lost folks, when they realize, when they step into eternity, and Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you, their anger for him, you know, it's not like the saying, I, I, they're not indifferent about Jesus. Your atheist friend, when they step into eternity and realize that they've been a rebel their entire life, and God's going to say... You're done. They're going to be very angry. And the gnashing of the teeth that Jesus talks about, that isn't just anguish, but that's anger and fury. These people, even in hell for thousands of years, will always be in rebellion and hatred of God, whom they know better than anyone else at that point, will hate Him, these lost folks. They will be in torment forever, conscious. Torment. But, so I guess I do answer that annihilation thing. I forgot it was in this one. But there's also conscience, consci- uh, people very much aware that they're in rest, that Shabbat rest, Sabbath rest. I'll take that, but we're going to reinforce it anyway. We're going to go to the transfiguration. And well said. I'll take that for that. It wasn't a parable. I agree. Um, but now we're going to reinforce it with Matthew 17, 1-3. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up by a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Now, Moses and Elijah had died a long time ago. Actually, we're going to find out what happened to Elijah. But Moses had died. And I believe that's the next verse I want to show you. Because my concern is, if Moses and Elijah showed up, well, we know Elijah didn't die. He was swept up. I'm going to show you that verse. But did Moses die? And yes, he did. Of course, Deuteronomy 34, 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. So even though his body was gone, Moses was busy hanging out in heaven, and then him and Elijah get to schedule an appointment with Jesus, and Peter and John get to see it, and they get to swoop through the dimension from heaven to this earth and have a conversation when Jesus is glowing in the dark. So amazing, awesome stuff is taking place. All right? God of the living. This one always gives me warm fuzzies. The Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection were trying to trick Jesus with the man, uh, the, the lady who had to marry everybody, all right, and then they all die. So, and uh, 
They're trying to say in the resurrection whose wife would she belong to, knowing they were trying to trick him because, again, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. And uh, here we go in Mark 12, 26 and 27. And as for the dead being raised... Have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And of course, to the Sadducees, you are quite wrong. Okay? So these folks of the Old Testament who died thousands of years ago are alive. How are we doing? Are we are we clearing the clearing the lane pretty fast, pretty quick here? And I hope this gives you hope. Also, um, here's a cool one out of Revelations chapter six: evidence of human activity while in heaven, but before we get a glorified body. Because there's a transition when Jesus comes back in the end of the end, right there. Humans will get new bodies. We'll get new physical bodies that can't get hurt, right? That can't get colds, right? It's very, they're very cool bodies. But in the meantime, we're still clearly awake. We're still very conscious. We're still very, we're more aware then than we are now. All right? Most of us seem to have corrective lenses here. When you take those off, things get blurry, right? And when you put them on, things get clear. That's what it's like when we can take off this mortal body and step into eternity. Things become crystal clear. And next week's sermon, that's what it's going to be about. We're going to talk more about that. But Revelation 6, 9 through 11. Um, John is watching this. And when he opened the angel, the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness that they had borne. So one, where are they? There they are, under the altar. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were, be, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So not only are these people conscious, clear, but they're active. They're talking to God. They're in the throne room of God talking to them saying, when are you going to bring justice? When are you going to spank these bad guys for what they did? And then they're each given a white robe and told to rest. Relax. It's coming to an end. There's going to be more joining the party here. Just wait and you'll see. All right? So here's evidence of actual soul activity. You know, And this is addressing the issue of soul sleep. As well. So people are very conscious once we leave here. Jesus talking to the thief on the cross in Luke 23 42 through 43. You know, Jesus was put on the cross and he had two thieves. One did not repent, the other one did repent and asked Jesus to remember him when he came into his kingdom. Oh, and there it is. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Some people like to put the comma here to try to push it away. Regardless, paradise was coming that day for Jesus and that thief. 
Alright? So, what does the Bible mean when it's talking about falling asleep? What? What? Because there are Bible verses that specifically say falling asleep. Let's take a look at them. First, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-16. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, had I not read you and showed you all those verses, you might be able to build a theology of soul sleep. Except you wouldn't be reading this quite accurately, and I'm going to highlight what we're going to emphasize. First of all, I'm just going to pitch it right out from the beginning. The, con- the term asleep is a euphemism for dead people. Okay? For those who are dead, who've been slain. They're dead. Okay? So that's what he's referring to here. Now look at this. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, look at this yellow highlighted part, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now, we're talking about the return of Christ. He's bursting through the clouds. He's coming in with all the saints. And what's going to happen is those souls that are coming back with Him right out of the sky are going to be given new bodies, right? It's going to be insane, right? And they're going to come down and the rest of the living that are there are going to rise up to meet Him. And they're going to get new bodies. It's going to be awesome, It's going to be crazy cool stuff going on here. But I want to point out that he's distinguishing that they're with him, those who have fallen asleep. Now, they're not just all following Jesus. They're very much conscious following Jesus as they come down. And he's trying to give hope that, don't worry, the Christians who died before us are going to be with him and be at the party before us, is what he's saying. I hope that gives you hope. Now, what about 1 Corinthians talking about falling asleep? Uh, Verses 20 and 23. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. In this case, the euphemism falling asleep is connecting it to death. Alright? Falling asleep means they died. They died. That's why I'm highlighting it. So it's a euphemism describing the death of the physical body. The sin-cursed body that we don't want to keep. Alright? And that's why I'm showing you, in its context, it's referring to death. It's not separate from death, and it's not talking about what happens to the soul when it dies. 
Now, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 11 also talks about uh, sleeping. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Now, contextually, um, let's look at the ending first. If the person dies and goes unconscious, does that really excite anybody? Kind of makes you nervous, doesn't it? Does that give everybody, well, as long as I'm taking a nap, it's like a long car ride, I might as well be unconscious, right? That's not what we're talking about. What it's saying is, who died for us so that whether we're awake, still alive, or have died, we might live. So even those who died will live with Him. The emphasis is on being alive with Christ. Even those who died before us are alive with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. Does it make sense? We want to look at the context of those verses, and it's very clearly a euphemism for people who have died. But you might say, well, we can be alive and still be asleep. Most of us fell asleep last night, right? We're alive. Matter of fact, we need to be alive to take a nap. So aside from the rich man and Lazarus, who already showed us what happens to them when they died, the thief that was in paradise with Jesus, Moses and Elijah who were hanging out alive, and the countless martyred souls very active at God's throne room, aside from them... Here's a few more. Why would God take Enoch and Elijah to heaven just to put them to sleep? Okay? Genesis 5, 23 and 24. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. You think the guy's tired? (laughs) Okay? Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Okay? There's only two people where God just swooped in and said, Now, nah, not, you're not going to die. I'm just going to translate you now. Let's go. Enoch was the first one. And he didn't live that long. Back then, that's kind of young. Right? If you know your Old Testament, that's, that's not even middle age. Okay? Moses was 500, 600, something like that. He lived a long time. Uh, <laughs> Let's look at Elijah, right? Second Kings chapter 2, 10 through 12. And he said, you have asked a hard thing. Now, what's going on here is Elijah and Elisha are walking along. And Elisha says, I want your superpowers. Whatever the Holy Spirit gave you, I want it. And, and Elijah said, if you see me get taken up into heaven, then that means God's going to bless you. You're going to get it. And so Elisha's like, sweet, let's go. And off they go. And verse 10, he said, you have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, you shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. So I I paraphrase what I just read there. And as they still went on and talked, behold, Chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw this, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. 
and he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces, meaning his cloak. And he grabbed up Elijah's cloak, put it on, and he got his superpowers. All right? So, and, and that sound effect happened as well, just so you know. It was in there. That, right? But, here it is. Elijah swoops down, and God just takes him up to heaven, and Elisha watches that. Okay? Why would, if soul sleep exists, why would God take Enoch and Elijah up into heaven just to knock him out? <laughs> take a nap, buddy. Right? Why would he do that? So, there's your case. Asleep is a euphemism for the body has died. The soul is quite active, and a lot is going on. So I've got a few slides left that I hope encourage you. This is a quote from the, the C.S. Lewis, his Chronicles of Narnia. In the last battle, this is, the, this is how his whole series ends. And they're all in heaven now, right? This is his interpretation of heaven for this. And it says this, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. Come further up. Come further in. All right? I don't know what really excites you. For me, a a morning like today where the air is just a little crisp, it's just that newness, that freshness, and you enjoy the beauty of the creation, but you know it's not quite right. And you know that there's something better. There's a tinge of hope, but only for the Christian. There's something better, bigger, more amazing, more crisp and clear than anything we can imagine here on this earth, waiting for those who belong to Jesus. And next week we're going to talk more about this. Do we care? I I know, it's like exciting. So, um, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and those who are the called according to His purpose. Every bad thing, the broken down cars, the, the physical pains... Everything is working together for good for God's people. Our bad and our good. And it's all building. It's something we cannot lose at. So I want to make sure that you know for sure that when you die, you know where you are going. I want to make sure you know that. Because everything I just said is only for the Christian. It is not for the lost. If you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are not going to enjoy anything that you were just showed from Scriptures. You will be punished eternally. And if you think you got problems here on earth, your problems haven't even begun. When you stand before God and He says, What did you do with my son? And you said, I used him as a cuss word. And that's it. Now give me my reward. You will get your reward all right. You need to ask Jesus Christ to save your sorry butt from how evil you are. Every human being, that's called repentance. 
And if a human being does not put their trust in the work of Jesus Christ alone, they're not going. They're not going. And they should be terrified of their existence. Alright? But for the saved, we can say this. My soul finds rest in God alone. Not my works. Not not my efforts. But in God alone. My salvation comes from Him. Not me. He alone is my rock and my salvation. That's Psalm 62, written before Jesus went to the cross. Are you trusting in Jesus Christ alone? Salvation is short for being saved from God's wrath. Is He alone your rock and your salvation? That's where we end. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the clarity of what happens to the soul uh, when we shed off this sin-cursed body and enter into eternity, which lasts a lot longer. I ask that everyone here would know and put their trust in you as Lord and Savior, as Lord and Savior, so that uh, you would get all the glory so that you would get all the glory. And the benefits to us of peace, of hope, of purpose, of meaning in our suffering and in our blessings is such a benefit. And yet all glory goes to you, Father. Thank you for loving us that we might love you. In Jesus' name, amen. There's some food for thought. Please visit thespeakandeacon.com and get connected to the growing number of social media Christians. Thespeakandeacon.com. Truth is here.